your eyes upon Jesus. Will you sing it with me? Look full in his wonderful face and the cares of life shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you know it, sing it with us. Before we go to the message, is there anyone in the house today that you're carrying a heavy burden in your life right now? It could be physical, it could be financial, psychological, emotional, relational, but it's weighing you down because it's heavy. I mean, this is a heavy time for you. If that's you, I want you to just stand right where you are. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you to come down here, but I just want you to stand right wherever you are. You have something in your life that is weighing you down heavily. Will you just stand right where you are? Prayer team, I'm going to ask you to do something I've not asked you to do before. I want a prayer intercessor in that outside aisle, and this aisle, and this aisle, and this aisle. And I just simply want you to walk up and down these aisles. And I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want you to pray in the Spirit for these who are standing. You don't have to lay your hands on them. You don't have to touch them. I just want you to pray in the Spirit because the Spirit of God understands what their needs are and is able to pray through you in such a way that it can minister to them. So prayer team, if you will, just take a position in one of these aisles. And I want you to just start walking up and down the aisles, praying in the Spirit. And for the rest of you, if you're standing on behalf of your need, I want you to ask the Lord to help you and to give you victory in this moment. Whatever it is, you know what it is. God knows what it is. And He is able to touch you. And for the remainder of you, I want you right where you are just to join us. And let's pray together on behalf of these needs. Father, we come to you now. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you that he is well able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, we, won't, we don't want to be guilty today of not receiving because we haven't asked. We want to ask boldly. In fact, we're coming into your throne room right now through worship, and we're asking you to give mercy and grace in the time of our need. Jesus, you took stripes upon your back so that we could walk in health. You didn't do that so that we'd be sick. You did that so that we could be healed. 
And so I'm calling out to you right now on behalf of those who may be standing because they're physically ill today. Will you heal them? Repair whatever is not right in their bodies. Restore them to health. Lord, I pray for those who are emotionally spent today that you would restore unto them the joy of thy salvation. And that, Lord, you will allow joy to rise within them, even in the midst of their difficulty. I, Lord, I pray for those who are having financial struggles right now. And there are so many in our world that are. But, Lord, you've made promises to us in your word. You told us if we'd bring the tithe into the storehouse that it would, it would obligate you. And that is a strong word, but it is a proper word because you said, test me and try me. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you can't contain. So Lord, I'm praying for all of those who may be dealing with a financial need in their life today that you'll open the doors of heaven, the windows of heaven, and bless them abundantly. Lord, I pray that whatever their need is today, that you would move upon them and into their lives. And you'll fix it, God. You'll repair it, Lord. You'll restore it, Jesus. So that we will have a testimony, not only of mercy and grace, but a testimony that is filled with thanksgiving and praise and worship unto the One who is able to do for us what needs to be done. And so now, Lord, as we conclude this prayer, we simply lift our hands to you and we give you thanks and we give you praise and we call it done. And from our mouth, from this moment forward, we will call those things that are not as though they were in agreement with your word and your promises on our behalf. And we give you praise. Amen. Amen and amen. High five your neighbor. Tell them God is good. Amen. God is good. God is good. You can be seated this morning. Amen. There's sometimes when we're going through difficulties, in fact, not just sometimes, all the time. When we're going through difficulty, if we can somehow just turn our eyes upon Jesus instead of the circumstances that we're dealing with. It will make all the difference in the world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. So good to see you in the Lord's house today. I was just thinking this week about how honored that I am to be able to be your pastor. I'm so thankful. Somebody sent me a video. Kay Decker sent me a video this week of her husband, Jim, who just recently had some surgery, had to have a kidney removed because there was cancer in it. They took out part of the bladder because just more for precaution than any other reason. Uh, but he had been in the hospital for several days, and he got to go home. His blood levels were good. Uh, they're saying that he has a bright future ahead of him. He still has some challenges that he faces, but she sent me a video of him in their garage. He was walking around the garage on a walker. And he was strengthening his body as he walked around that garage. And it just came to my mind. You know, we have difficult times that we have to face, difficult situations. But when God is for us, who, and if I could say this without doing injustice to the Scripture, 
or what can be against us. Disease can't. Starvation can't be against us. Frustration can't be against us because God is able to overcome every situation that we face. So I'm glad that God is doing a good thing in our lives and in your life. Amen. So thank you for being, letting me be your pastor today. Now today is going to be a message that is full of information for you today. Uh, I'm going to move as quickly as I can. I'm going to try to stay as close to my notes as I can. Uh, because I've got a lot of information that I want to get to you this morning. At the end of the service, we're going to pray together and we're going to believe God to move in our lives and in our families. But I just want to ask you today, how many of you have ever heard of this thing called the rapture? Can I see your hands? How many of you are ready to go? And I hope every hand goes up when I say that. You know, I've I've heard about the rapture. I've heard the prophecies about rapture uh, all of my life. I was, I was raised, as you know, in a pastor's home. Uh, my dad and my mom would tell me, you better shape up, Robbie, or you'll miss the rapture one of these days. And I, they had me scared to death of this thing called the rapture. But I'm glad today because I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb and my name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I don't have to worry about missing it. It's not like missing tarp buses and airplanes. It's not like missing those. If you're late, you might miss it. But listen, there's no way that you're going to miss the rapture if you are one of the children of God. So today I want to talk to you about this thing called the rapture. And uh, I'm going to give you as much information as I can and uh, hopefully you will be able to understand what we're talking about today and know and make preparations if you're not ready to go. I am ready to go. Now last week, we talked about the signs that would lead up to the rapture. And we talked about that pretty extensively. We talked about false messiahs and religions. We talked about wars and rumors of war. We talked about how that in the world in the last days there would be an increase of hunger and there would be food insufficiency. We talked about how that there would be earthquakes and I might add other natural disasters as well. We talked about incurable sicknesses and pestilences that would ravage the world. Persecution of Christians around the world. And we don't really get this in the United States of America because we think that persecution of the Christians is when somebody makes a snarky remark to us because we're a Christian. But I'm telling you that there are people who are literally being martyred for the cause of Christ all across the world. And if the Lord tarries, it will happen in the United States of America as well. And so we need to prepare ourselves for that. I talked about a rise in wickedness. I put some pictures up for you to see of some crazy things about transgenderism and that kind of thing. And let me just pause and say to you that I, I could have listed so many things in that segment of the message but the thing that has bothered me so badly about this particular segment of society really is not that men are dressing up to look like women. You know, they can do that in the privacy of their home and it doesn't bother anybody. 
But what bothers me so badly and that the church needs to be aware of is that there is an agenda that is being shoved into our children's minds and the quotes that I gave you last night were, or last week were very evident that their desire is not just to fancy up in girls' clothing, but to win the hearts of our children to that kind of lifestyle. And that's why I call it wicked. And that's why I say we need to be aware of it, not only if it's that, but if it's any other kind of wickedness that we can put our eyes on in this world. Then we talked about how that the love of believers will grow cold. In the last days, we've watched in churches as regular attenders have gone from Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and revivals to where now people describe themselves as a regular attender if they attend church one service every couple of weeks. They consider themselves a regular attender. So the love of Christians has grown cold. The love of being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of being in the presence of God's people. It has grown cold in the last days. The good news we talked about is that in the last days, world evangelism will skyrocket. The word of the gospel will go around this globe. We are able now with technology to preach a message. I was told after the service last week, I did not know this, but last week, while we were having church here, there was a church in Pakistan that was watching our live stream, and the entire church was watching right along with us. Can you say praise the Lord for that? I mean, the ability to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ is amazing. And that's why I encourage you, every time you see one of our live streams or our sermon short, 60 Seconds at Spirit Life, or whatever you see, if you'll like it and if you'll share it, then it will go to many more people and maybe you will be responsible for winning someone to Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if one of these days when we got up to heaven, somebody walked up to you and said, You'll never, you would have never known this, but I saw the post that you shared, and because of that post, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and it made all the difference in the world. Folks, we've got an opportunity like we've never had before to reach the world. And then finally, we talked about the restoration of Israel's homeland. God's going to bring Israel back together in such a way that they will be there ready to accept what he has. So today, we want to talk about the rapture. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. And I want us to look at verses 36 through, 30, through 44. And let's just kind of read these together, if you will. Now, what this is describing is what the world is going to look like when the rapture takes place. This is what Jesus says we can look forward to. Verse 36, it says, But concerning that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now let me pause just long enough to say to you that what he is describing here is just people in the world that are just going on about their life. They're not even thinking about the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not even on their radar. They're just doing life. They're giving, they're giving one another in marriage. They're, they're, just, they're just experiencing life. And they are not thinking about the coming of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 40, he says then... Um, Excuse me, verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. Look at your neighbor and say, stay awake. For you do not know on what day that your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, say stayed awake, and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So those are the words of Jesus. So now as we talk about the rapture today, there are six things that I want to share with you about it. And I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 now with me, or you can watch the screen as well. I want to pause for just a moment after having read that text. And I want to ask the Lord to be with us today in prayer that He'll open our hearts and our minds to His Word. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being here today and for the opportunity that I have to preach the Word of God to your people. I pray that if there's anyone here today that they're uncertain about their readiness for the rapture, for the taking away of the church, that before this day is out, that they will give their heart and their life to you. Let them not be lazy about it. Let them not sleep through it. Let them stay awake and know that you are here to call them into a relationship with you. Let me preach according to your will. Let your word go forth and do its work. I, I stand upon your promise that says that when the word of God goes forth, it will never return to you void, but shall always accomplish everything that you send it forth to do. And I declare that to be truth today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't think that I have ever preached a funeral that I have not read this passage of Scripture at the gravesite. I normally say I love graveyards because I love to go in there. My, my granddaughter Jovi has learned this stupid joke that's been going around the world for all these years. She said, Pops, did you know that they have to put fences up around the graveyards? I said, really? I already know the answer. I know what's coming. And I said, why did they do that? And she said, because people are dying to get in there. You get it? Everybody understand? But I always read this in the cemetery because it gives us a picture of what's going to happen one of these days. 
He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. Some version says ignorant there. Brothers, about those who are asleep. Those who are asleep are those who have already passed away. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare unto you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Listen, the reason I like those cemeteries is because if you were to be standing in one when the Lord comes back and the rapture takes place, You're going to see many graves just burst wide open. And the dead in Christ are going to get up out of those graves. Uh, They're going to take a big yawn and say, Man, I've been resting for a long time or even just for a few days. But I'm awake and I'm ready to go. And then it says, Those of us who are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together in the air to be with the Lord throughout eternity. And we can be encouraged by that. Amen? And that's a picture of what this rapture is going to look like. So the first thing that I want you to understand about the rapture is this. It is imminent. The rapture is imminent. Now that is a big fancy word that simply means that it's going to happen whether you want it to or whether you're expecting it or not, it is imminent. Many scholars, historians, and and theologians believe And I do as well that there's not another thing that has to happen before the rapture of the church can take place. It is imminent. I'm telling you, church, Jesus Christ could come back before we leave this building this morning. There's nothing that would prevent him from coming today. Many historians and theologians say it like this. They say the rapture is a signless event. Meaning that there are no signs or developments that must precede its occurrence. So you say, well, pastor, what about those things that you mentioned as you began? All those things, wars and rumors of wars, sicknesses and pestilences and earthquakes and natural disasters and wickedness and all those things. Don't those things have to happen? Can I just remind you that all of those things have already happened? There's not one thing on that list that we cannot tick the box off and say, at some point, somewhere in this earth, these things have already happened, uh, which clears the way for the Father to say to the Son, I think I'm ready for you to go get my bride. I think I'm ready for you to go get my people and bring them to where we are. It could happen at any moment. I'm not trying to scare anybody. 
I've learned years ago that trying to scare people into salvation doesn't work very well. Because after the frightening moment is over, then they begin to determine, did I really make this decision and do I really mean it? Listen, salvation, a work of God that Jesus did for you, can only be received by faith in Him. And faith requires that we make a decision. We must decide that we are going to accept Christ. So it's a signless event, meaning that there are no signs, no developments that must precede its occurrence. The second thing that I want you to understand is the rapture is inevitable. Now here's what I mean by you can't stop it. Just You can't say, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to have any of that. I'm just not going to do it. I don't believe it. Preachers have been talking about it for years and it's not happened yet. And so I just don't believe that it's going to happen. But I want you to know that the rapture is inevitable. Next slide, if you will, up there. It is inevitable. It's going to happen. How many of you want the rapture to, to happen? Can I see your hands? For those of you who didn't raise your hands, too bad, so sad. It is going to happen why? Because Jesus declared that it would happen. The Word of God says that it will happen. So you might as well get yourself ready. It's not like the ice cream truck that sometimes occasionally comes through the neighborhood. I don't know if you're like me, my eye is tuned to the ice cream truck. Uh, you can hear them coming in the neighborhood, and it's like, man, all the kids start gathering like, like a bunch of cattle. You know, they all find, come to the place, and it's like there's going to be ice cream, and, and, and we all run to get there. It's like the fire truck at Christmas that comes down through there, and the sirens are going, and they're singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas and all that. Some nights they come, and sometimes they don't. I have stood out on the corner in my neighborhood many nights thinking that the fire truck was going to come and the fire truck did not come but the fire truck eventually came all of those things are fallible all of those things can maybe not come but I'm telling you there is no chance in this world that Jesus will break the promise of, of coming back and rapturing away the church to forevermore be in his presence it is inevitable so if you don't believe me this morning, let me just say as respectfully as I can, I, you'll see one of these days. And you'll point back to this day and you'll say, you know that preacher, I never did like him very much. And you know, he, was, he, was, he was always preaching weird stuff to me. But I sure wished I'd have listened to what he said on that day because he was right. The rapture did take place. It happened. It's inevitable. Thirdly, the rapture occurs in the air. And now this is where it gets interesting. Because for so many years we just thought Jesus is coming back to earth. And he will, but not yet. Not at the beginning of what we will call the tribulation that we'll talk about in two weeks from today. But the first time Jesus comes, the Bible tells us that nobody knows the time, the hour, the day, not even Jesus knows, according to Scripture. The only one that knows is the Father. And so the Father is going to whisper over to Jesus, and He's going to say, now is the time. 
And when Jesus prepares himself to come and get the church, God is going to reach down and he's going to pick up his trumpet. And he's going to hand that trumpet over to one of his angels. And he's going to signal for that angel to blow that trumpet. And when the angel blows that trumpet, Jesus is going to step out on the cloud of glory. He's not going to come down to the earth, but from the heavens. He's going to say, hey, it's Jesus. I've come to get you. Come on, church, and spend eternity with me. He's not coming to the earth the first time. He's going to meet us in the clouds. That's what verse 17 says. It says we will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the rapture occurs in the air. Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 says, And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took it. This is at the ascension of Christ where this is taking place. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This same Jesus, say Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What carried him away at the ascension? It was the clouds. The clouds formed around him and ushered him out of this earth and into the heavens. And the angel said, when he comes back again, when you see him, he's not going to come down to the earth, but he's just going to be riding a cloud of glory and he's going to call his church unto himself. Did you ever think you'd like to ride a cloud? Well, let me tell you something, one of these days, if you're in Christ, you're going to ride on a cloud. You're going to get yourself up out of this earth, and you're going to go to where Jesus is. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Number four, the rapture is different from the second coming. And that's what I was just telling you. The first time, Jesus is just going to stay in the air. He's just going to stay on the cloud, and he's going to gather us up. But at the second time that he comes, which, by the way, we know when he'll come at that time, because it will be seven years from the time that he came in the clouds, because once he comes in the clouds, this thing called the tribulation is going to kick off and get started on this earth. And in the seven years, and I don't want to go here today because I'm going to be here in two weeks, but there's going to be seven years of turmoil and tribulation unlike anything the world has ever known or seen. And at the end of the seven years is going to be a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And when Jesus has had enough, when God has had enough, He's going to come down and he's going to settle the issue at the end of the battle of Armageddon. And he's not going to just come to the clouds and say, now you boys calm down. I've had just about enough of this. No, when he comes that time, he's going to be coming in and he's going to come to 
the earth. And he's going to engage in battle with those who have been fighting against Israel. And he's going to prove once and for all that Israel is his people. It's his nation. And he will come to their rescue. And he's coming, oh, you don't want to miss in two weeks. You're going to hear about white horses and red horses, all kinds of horses. Man, you're going to hear about what God has in store for those who have not believed in him. But let's just stay right here where we're at. Because, you know, we, we, we've got a lot to anticipate. Amen? So it's different from the second coming. Zechariah Chapter 14, verse 4 says, On that day his feet shall stand, say stand, on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem. Listen, he's not going to come to Washington, D.C. He's not going to come to New York City. He's not coming to Chicago. He's at his second coming when he comes to the earth. He's not coming to Los Angeles. He's not coming to Tel Aviv. He's going to come to Jerusalem, and he's going to plant his feet right on the Mount of Olives. But listen what happens when his feet hit the Mount of Olives. It lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. I'm not going to get into all the particulars of that, but listen, here's what he's doing. When Jesus comes and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, the very mountains themselves are going to start trying to get out of the way of Jesus. They're going to start preparing the way for Jesus to do final battle for those who have come against and done battle against his nation, Israel. The mountain's going to go to the north. mountain's going to go to the south. The valley's going to split from, split from the east to the west. And he is preparing the valley for what will be the greatest defeat of the nations of this world and will all be accomplished through one Savior, one Lord, one King of kings, one individual who comes down and calls all the shots and brings it all to an end. Oh man, I don't know if your mind's going crazy, but mine's going crazy just thinking about all that. Now number five, and I've named this message, the rapture is for believers, because it is for believers. Now I want to introduce to you a theory that many theologians hold to. It's called the theory of the rapture gap. And what they say is, is that because the rapture takes place, now now, let, let, let me explain this to you. There are three different viewpoints about the rapture. There is what is called the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. There is the mid-tribulation rapture of the church. And there is the post-tribulation rapture of the church. In other words, there are some who believe that the church will go at the very beginning of the tribulation. There are other people who believe that the church will have to endure the first three and a half years of the tribulation and that Jesus will come in the clouds to take us out after three and a half years of suffering. Then there are those who say the church has to be through all of it. They've got to stay all through the, from the beginning to the end. And they will not be able to leave this place until Jesus comes at the end of Armageddon. I don't believe that. 
I believe that the scripture holds to what we call the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Because God is going to take us up out of here. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. We are not going to be here during the tribulation. That is my personal belief. And I believe that it's held up by scripture. That Jesus is going to take us out of here. And then the tribulation will begin. So at the same time. There will be the taking up of the church, and there will be this chaos, total chaos, that breaks out on the earth. And so what this theory of the rapture gap is, is that when the church is gone, that God needs a little time to get himself together. Because now he's got all these millions of people that have all of a sudden showed up in heaven, and then there's the tribulation that he's got to deal with, and so he needs to turn his attention there. And so he can't be bringing millions of people to heaven and at the same time initiating chaos on the earth. So he's got to have a little break. Now listen, we are, we are really underestimating an omniscient God who is able to do all things and be everywhere and know all things at the same time. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is able, I think, to take care of a couple of things uh, at the same time without it causing him any headache whatsoever. So I don't believe in this idea of the rapture gap. I believe when the rapture comes and, and the church comes up, then the tribulation is going to start and Jesus can handle both at the same time. One's going to be chaos. But let me tell you where we're going to be if we're in Christ. It's not going to be chaos. It's going to be absolute blessing. It's going to be absolutely uh, the greatest thing that we've ever experienced in our lives. We're going to meet. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Calm down. There are three main things that are going to take place at the rapture for the believers. And the first is called reckoning. The second is called reward. And the, and the third is resurrection. Let's talk about reckoning for just a moment. The rapture may be when church age believers appear before the Lord at what is called the Bema judgment. Have you ever heard of the Bema judgment seat? The Bema judgment seat is, if you can picture in your mind, a courtroom where there would be a judge seated to oversee the trial, then that would be considered the Bema. So millions of people are going to be flooding heaven, and we're all going to stand before him at the Bema seat. Now, it's called the Bema judgment seat. And it says, Scripture says, that when we will give account of all they have ever done. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, says we will all stand, say all stand, before the judgment seat of God. And each of us will give a, an account of himself to God in verse 12. Now listen, some of you might feeling a bit, little bit anxious about that. Because how many of you have ever fallen short of the glory of God? Have you? I have. I do it regularly. And the very thought of standing before Jesus Christ 
and knowing that I fell short of his glory. And knowing that people that know me are going to find out about how I fell short of the glory of God. That's a little bit intimidating for me. I don't know if it is for you, but it is for me. But here's how you have to process this information. Jesus just came and called us into his glory. This is not about judgment for the people of God. Yes, we will realize when we see him face to face, we're going to say, wow, I really did fall short of his glory. I really could have done so much more. I really could have spoken so much better. I really could have lived in a very different way. But then we are reminded of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who on Calvary took all of our sins upon himself uh, and paid the price for our sins. Uh, And so judgment has already been paid for us because Jesus took it upon his his shoulders. Hey, when we stand there on that day, I believe that Jesus is going to look at us with a smile on his face and say, you have been faithful over many things. Now enter into the rewards and to the glory that I have prepared for you. This is not about judgment. In fact, I'm going to tell you that none of the rapture passages Give an account, excuse me, passages in Scripture mention any hint of punishment. Let me read you a few. John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. I like it when the Scripture starts like that, don't you? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's not about judgment. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, And when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That's not about judgment. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 says, Because you have kept my word. Say, kept my word. With patience endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, if you were leaning towards mid-trip, And if you were leaning towards post-trib, I want you to read that passage of Scripture again because he says, you've kept my word, you have patiently endured, and I will keep you from the hour of trial. In some versions, it says the day of tribulation that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. So listen to me. When you stand before him on the, at the Bema judgment seat, it's not going to be about punishment. It's going to be about being rewarded for the things that God has seen in our lives. We regret things that we could have done differently, but we will, be not, we will not be condemned by it because the beam of judgment not is not a time when we will be punished for our sins. In fact, 
we're not going to be punished for our sins. As I've already said, he already did that. Romans chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, There is therefore now, say now, now no condemnation. Say no condemnation. If there's no condemnation now for those who are believers, why in the world would there be condemnation when we get to heaven and we're standing in the front of Jesus our Savior? There, it would be inconsistent with everything that Jesus has ever accomplished and done in our lives. So the minute that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, any opportunity for punishment for your sins have been removed from you. Your sin is gone from the east, is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. Don't lose any sleep at night thinking that you're not going to make it to heaven because you are not worthy and you are too sinful. When Jesus took and bore your sins upon his back at Calvary, he cleansed you from your sin. And there is therefore now no condemnation. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in His flesh. Aren't you thankful for a Savior who could pay the price for all of our sins. I'm grateful. For those who are redeemed, all the sins committed during one's life, both prior to and following salvation, were forgiven at the cross. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence, say confidence, and not shrink from Him in shame of His coming. Picture that if you can. The rapture of the church has just taken place. Wherever you were, whatever you were doing, you, you left that scene and you came into the presence of Jesus Christ. You accompanied Him to the Bema judgment seat and you went there realizing and being fully cognizant of the fact that you had fallen short of the glory of God many times and that there were ways that you could have lived differently, words that you could have spoken differently, things that could have been and should have been different and you think that you're just about to get condemnation and then Jesus looks at you and reminds you that I've already taken your sin and remove them from you I did that a long time ago at Calvary and this is not about condemnation this is about realizing that I have saved you from your sins I am your kinsman redeemer praise the Lord and then he's going to turn the page in the book and he's going to turn his attention to our rewards our rewards after the rapture is when we receive our rewards. Now listen, there are some rewards that we can receive now on this earth. But the reward that we have for doing something on this earth only lasts until the feeling of it is gone. Somebody was telling me the other day about how that they blessed someone with a gift, a monetary gift, and, and they, they remembered feeling so good about it. It was, it was rewarding for them to bless someone in that way. And I'm thankful that we can be blessed like that, aren't you? But those rewards are temporary rewards. 
And they only last as long as the feeling is there. But what I'm talking about is eternal rewards that God Himself is keeping a record of. And He knows exactly what we've done and how it applies to our lives. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Now again, he's not talking about being rewarded with salvation. We already have salvation. Salvation is already ours. But he's talking about a distinct reward that is beyond salvation. Did you read that part where it says that our works will be tried with fire? I was trying to imagine that in my mind. How's that going to work? Is God going to have to build a campfire? And he's going to have to take us one by one and say, well, I remember on June the 38th, of, uh, you know, or the 32nd, or there was not the 32nd, or the 28th, or whenever you did such and such. Uh, give me that work, and I'm going to throw it in the fire, and if it burns up, it's no good. If it remains, I, it, it's not going to happen like that. Best way for me to describe it, how it came to my spirit, is if you ever tried to board an airplane at the airport, you have to go through these detectors. You know what I'm talking about? And they ask you before you go through, you got to put your keys out and you got to put your little tiny pocket knife. Like that really is going to hurt anybody. Only time this hurts anything is always when I dig too deep to clean my toenails with it. That's the only time. They make you put it on the belt. And they make you take your shoes off. You got to take your belt buckles off. You got to do all that kind of stuff. And you go walking through there and they ask you, do you have any metal in your body? Do you have any stents? Do you have any posts? Do you have any pins? Do you have anything? Well, I got 14 done down here and three of them over here and 16 up here. And my head is a little bit wavy sometimes. And, you know, they have to consider all those things. You go walking through that that, that, uh, that gate there, and, and, and if you've got any metal on you, what does it do? It pings, it dings, and they say, uh-uh, you got to come back here. And then, you know, if you go through a couple times and you're still dinging, they get that long stick. You know what I'm saying? Spread eagle. Going up, going down one side, going up the back, on the front, doing around your head a couple times. Because they're looking for anything that does not belong there. And I thought to myself, it's going to be so quick and so fast. When, when the church is raptured away, we're talking about millions of people coming all at the same time. And I, I'm not saying they're going to have those kinds of things set up in heaven. That's not what I'm going to talk about. That's not what I'm talking about. But I believe, and what came to my soul and my spirit is, is that, that when we leave this defiled world, anything that was defiling with us and about us, is going to be washed and removed so that we enter into heaven. It's going to be gone. And the only things that will remain are the works of our lives that stand the test of the fire. And it will remain. And if it remains, we will be rewarded for it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Luke 14 and 14. And he's talking about giving someone a glass of water in the name of the Lord. And he said, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 2 John chapter 1 verse 18. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And then there's one other thing I want to talk about this. In terms of this, and it is resurrection. The rapture is when believers in Christ, both dead and alive, receive their glorified bodies. Paul describes it very vividly in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. Read this with me. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you can't go like you are today. Something's got to happen to you. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the, imperishable, for the parables, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then, say then, shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. you got to put this old body down. This body was created by God for decay. God created a system by which all of us are going to die. You can fight it. You can pray about it all you want to. You can quote Scripture over yourself all you want to. But I'm telling you, the Scripture says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment comes. This body has to go. You can try to hold on to it. You say, oh, I've worked hard to make this body healthy. I've, made, I've worked hard to keep this body looking good. Man, I've had surgeries on my face and surgeries on my neck and surgeries on my arms. I've had this taken off and that taken off and this tensed up and all. I'm proud of my body. I'm going to be an Instagram influencer so everybody can look at my body and see how I got where I am and how they can get there too. Listen. I don't care what your body looks like. I don't care what your body smells like. I don't care how many years you've been carrying it around. Jesus says, I ain't allowing that into heaven. You're going to have to put it down, lay it down, but I'm going to give you something that's even better than what you've ever had before. Oh, man, I don't know about you. I'm ready to go. There are two places when the rapture takes place that are going to get inhabited very quickly. And the first is paradise. Luke, that's heaven. Luke chapter 23, verse 43 said, And he said, Truly I say today, this to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Yes, we are a good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 verses 23 and 24 says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better for me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Let me tell you, when I know that someone has reached a level of maturity that many people never reach, and that is people who don't care if they stay on the earth or not. They know that there's a brighter day coming. They know that something in the future is going to happen that will be far better than anything that we've ever experienced on the face of this earth. So I will stand with the three Hebrews who said, God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, I'm not worried about it. Our life is in his hands. Now, I hope you're going to paradise. I hope you're going to heaven. I'd like to be one of those preachers who can tell you now with our modern theology that hell does not exist. But a preacher that stands and tells you that hell does not exist is a liar and a false prophet. God never took hell out of the Bible. And he gives us an example in Luke chapter 16, verses 22 through 31, a little bit of what hell's going hell's to be like. Listen to this. The poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man had also died and was buried. And in Hades, hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner his bad things, but now he is comforted here. Here, where? Paradise. And you are in anguish. Where? In Hades, in hell. And verse 26, and besides all this between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to do it and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced of someone should they rise from the dead. Let me just tell you, there's, you only got one shot at this. This is it. 
I don't know if you believe that somehow if you wind up in hell that somebody's going to be able to reach down and span the chasm and grab your hand and pull you out. I don't know if you think you're going to be able to escape hell and somehow sneak out with unawares and and into another world. I, I don't know what your thinking is about that, but if we read Scripture, we can clearly see that when we die unredeemed without a Savior, without Jesus, I don't care if you followed Buddha. I don't care if you've been a, a, a Jehovah's Witness. I don't care if you've been all of those other things that I could mention. The Bible tells us there's only one way to the Father. It is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you don't have Jesus, you will not make it to heaven. Amen. Now let me get back to the whole point of this. We're going to get our glorified bodies. Man, think about that. These bodies, once glorified, will never taste death. They will never decay throughout eternity. Nor will they ever be capable of sinning. I could sin 14 times today if I'm not careful. And have to at the end of the day say, Lord, I have fallen short of your glory. I fell short of your glory. I'm sorry I didn't mean to or I did mean to and I, I shouldn't have done it, but I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. You say, can you backslide? I think you can. I think you can walk away from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, but I started out, you know, in one of those churches that believes in eternal security. I'm okay. I understand what you're talking about. But listen, I have never believed in this idea that once saved, you're always saved. You can turn your back on the Savior. You can taste of the good things of God and turn around and move away from Him. And if you do so, there may not be any repentance at all available to you. So now is our shot at it. Now is our chance. All but think about it. These bodies will never be capable of sinning or being sick or dying ever again. Are you ready to go? Last thing and then I'll be done. And I apologize again. I know that we got three minutes according to my clock up there and I'm never going to make it. You'll have to just forgive me because I'm not going to quit. Need to leave? Go ahead. Go get your fried chicken. It'd probably be better for you than what I'm telling you. I don't know. Go somebody tell Becca to get her a drink and, and take a break and whatever. I'll be done when I get there. Last thing, and it is this. The rapture removes the Spirit's restraining influence from the world. Why are things going to be so bad after, on this earth after the rapture? Why? Because the church is going to be raptured out of here. The only salt, the, the only light that this world has, the church, we're going to be gone. Where does the Holy Spirit of God reside? He resides in you. He's in the church. So when I go, 
I'm not going to say, wait a minute, I'm going to lay my Holy Ghost down here because he needs to stay here, and I'm going to go into heaven. Let, leave your Holy Ghost. Don't forget to leave your Holy Ghost here because they're going to need him. No, the Holy Ghost is not going to remain in this earth. He has restrained things long enough. God has been gracious long enough, but he's getting ready in the tribulation to pour out his wrath upon unbelievers and this world, and there will be no Holy Spirit here to restrain the work of a vengeful God upon those who rejected Him. Now it gets quiet. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 says, here's the mystery. Lawless is already at work. Lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains it will do, do so until He is out of the way. Holy Spirit right now is restraining things all around this globe. He's doing His work. He's doing His bidding. But when the rapture takes place, listen, He's going with us. And I'm telling you what happens is going to be the most chaotic, awful thing that this world has ever seen. I want the guys, if you've got time... I want you to play that video, and I, this is old, old video, but I want you to listen real closely to the words of this song, and then I'm going to come back. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold I wish we'd all been ready But there's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind up a hill one disappears one's left standing still I wish we'd all been ready a man and wife asleep in bed he hears a noise and turns his head she's gone I wish we'd all Goodbye, old 
I've been doing what I do, standing in pulpits just like this one, for over 40 years, pleading with people to be ready. Make sure you're ready. This is the only opportunity that you have to get ready. And the only way you can get ready is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Last week I asked you to blink your eyes. Do it one more time for me if you will. Just blink your eyes. That's how quick this transition is going to take place. And I'm telling you, you won't have time. And the next thing you're going to see and hear is chaos. If you're not redeemed, if you don't go in the rapture, all of you church people, you're going to be safe. But what about your loved ones? What about your children? What about your babies? What about your wife, your husband? What about? What about that? Can you imagine knowing what happened on September the 11th a few years ago and the chaos that ensued in just a matter of a few moments? Can you imagine what this world is going to be like when millions of people, millions of people around this globe suddenly just disappear? Just gone. Can you imagine those who are left and can cover the news? They'll be talking about airplanes that literally are falling out of the skies because the pilot was a born-again believer. And when the rapture took place, he was taken from the plane and there was no way for it to, to fly, so it fell to the ground. Cars wrecked on the side of the roads. I'm telling you, it's going to be chaos unlike anything this world has ever seen. But this week, it just touched me. That one phrase in that song that says, and children die. Children die. And here's what I believe that means. I believe, I believe that if you have a child in your household that is old enough to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make a decision for Christ and they have not yet done so, they will not go in the rapture. And they'll be left here to endure the tribulation. I thought about thought about mothers that might be cradling their young child, maybe, maybe feeding that child, or just comforting that child. 
The mother is an unbeliever. The mother doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the rapture takes place. And that child who is under grace because they've not yet reached the age of accountability, they can't know about Christ, understand about Christ, or able to make a decision for or against Christ, that child will immediately disappear from the arms of that unbelieving mother. I'm telling you, it's going to be it's going to be the worst tribulation that this world has ever seen, according to Scripture. It's going to be worse than anything. And I don't know, there's something in me, being a pastor, for so many years I've been concerned about people that God has assigned me to, and I want you so desperately to make it to heaven. I want you so desperately to have Christ in your life. And I know you get tired of hearing me say it and preach about it, but listen, it is your only hope. And this is your only chance. Two weeks, we'll talk about the tribulation. Talk about all that's going to go on. But I want you today before you do anything else in your life to make sure that you're ready to go into rapture. Because it's not about some great carnival ride. Woo, I get to go up through the air. No, it's about who you're going to be with for eternity once you've taken that trip. Jesus, your Savior, will you stand with me this morning? Well, Father, I've preached your word today as best I know how. I've studied, I've prepared. I've tried my best to keep opinions out of the way and let your word speak. And the one thing that I've learned through the years is that it's not how eloquent that I might be able to speak, but it is the power of your word that goes forth with power and with authority. And I pray that it will touch the hearts of your people today. And for those who are here today who have never accepted you as their Savior, I pray that this will be the day, that today will be the day of salvation. I want everybody in the house, if you will, to join me in the altar this morning. And I want you to just come and stand here. We're going to pray together, and then we'll be dismissed. If you attend our church, I'm glad you're coming. If you don't normally attend our church, you're welcome to join us down here. If you're physically unable, I understand that as well. I can remember when I was a kid growing up, 
we'd have revivals and evangelists would come in and they'd preach with such fervency that I would literally think in my mind if I don't get to the altar as fast as I can get there. I'm afraid that Jesus will come back while I'm making the journey from my seat to the altar and I'll be left behind. I've seen people that I never thought in a million years would or could be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That once they accepted Christ, their life changed just like that. Because of His saving grace. Now, I don't know if you're saved. I know most of you are saved. But there may be some of you today that you've never made that journey. And so I'm going to ask all the saved folks just to make it a little bit easier. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. And let me just ask you today, if you're here and you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, just slip your hand up right where you are and let me see you. I'm the only one looking around. I'm the only one. Let me see your hand. Amen. Ma'am, I see your hand. I see your hand. Would you be brave enough to come right here, ma'am, and let me pray with you today? Would one of your friends come with you today? Everybody else, just, just pray. Just keep praying. Don't let one soul get out of here today. 